And we are in our final uh, sermon in this series sermon on the book of Galatians. And I hope it's been beneficial to you. And uh, maybe you can answer the question, why was the book of Galatians written? I hope as a serious student of the word that you'll be able to answer that by this time uh, that we're in at the end of this sermon series. But before I get started today and read the text, I just want to give you and remind you again uh, a little learning by repetition on why Paul writes the book of Galatians. So the background of this book is that Paul has many conversions in a region called Galatia. And Galatia is a predominantly Gentile or non-Jewish church, the the church of Galatia. And if you remember, Christianity comes from the roots of Judaism. It's a Jewish, Jewish messianic movement that begins in Jerusalem, but then it starts spreading out beyond Israel. So one of the biggest things you know, a Jewish person had to adhere to or obey was the law, and in particularly the practice of circumcision. That was a mark on their body that they were observant Jews and that they were obeying the Torah, right? Torah means law. And so it was the law or the rules by which Jews were to live. And what was happening at the beginning when this church starts in, right, the church starts in Jerusalem and spreads out, it spreads out to non-Jewish territories. And so what was going on is a lot of early Jewish followers of Jesus believe that in order for non-Jewish people to become fully Christian, that they were going to have to adopt and follow the rules of the law or the Torah, like circumcision, certain foods to eat, not to eat, days to worship. And this is why Paul is writing this, because this message that uh, if non-Jewish people will start doing these Jewish things, then they'll be fully Christian. Uh, Paul considers it very serious. He, call, he considers it an affront to the gospel. And he writes to the Galatians. Because if you have to do other things to be saved, other than simply putting your faith in Jesus, then the gospel message is threatened. It's no longer a free gift from God. It's something you have to earn rather than to simply receive by believing. And the Galatians were going backwards. They're regressing, and Paul needed to correct it. And so it's not adherence to the law that saves us. It's not the works that we do that earns our salvation, but it is the work in the person of Jesus Christ that saves us. And so we are moving now into the last uh, couple of chapters of the book of Galatia. And I'm actually going to cover chapters 4, 5, and 6 in this last And you're like, oh my goodness, trust me, I'm only going to hit the highlights, just the highlights, and really just a theme that I see running through all three of these, and it's a theme that runs through the whole book. And so let's start in Galatians chapter 4 in verses 21 through 31. Paul is talking to the Galatians, and he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law yourself? For it is written that Abraham had two sons one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, 
and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate. One will be more than those of who has a, a husband. Now, you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but we are of the free woman. So Paul is saying, when you try to live under the law, you're becoming a slave. But when you live as a child of promise, you're living uh, as, a, as free in Christ. And he's comparing uh, Ishmael and Isaac. So Paul is once again using the law to show the Galatians that the law is, not what, is what's going to make them right with God. The only way to be right with God is to be justified by faith. The just shall live by faith. And he goes back into ancient history of the Jewish people, and he looks back on a time when the father of our faith, Abraham, made a costly mistake. So let's do a little bit of historical work here. If you don't know the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and the story of Hagar and Ishmael, let's just go back and uh, jog our memory here. Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they tried to fulfill God's promises and purposes by their own cunning, with their own strength. And the Bible calls this, and Paul calls this flesh. Did you see that? Flesh. What is the flesh? This is important. Listen to me. The flesh is a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Let me say that again. The flesh is a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promises. So, at 75 years old, God calls Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and he tells them, I'm going to make a nation out of you two. I'm going to bless the world through you. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But there's only one problem. Sarah is barren. She's not able to have children. And Abraham's 75, and, Abraham, and Sarah's a few years younger than her. I mean, by all means, there is no way that Abraham and Sarah could ever have a child without a miracle from God himself. And so God makes a promise, but the promise seems impossible. How in the world can this be? But they believe God at 75. But a problem arises. God is slow, it feels like, on his promise. 10 years go by. Now Abraham's 85. And Abraham and Sarah are tired of waiting on God. And they decide, you know what? Maybe God just needs a little help. I know God said the two of us are going to have children, but obviously this ain't working. So let's take matters into our own hands. Let's try with our own understanding to work this out. So Sarah has a bright idea, and Abraham's an idiot for ever following through with this. Oh, Sarah says, hey, why don't you take one of our servants, Hagar, marry her, sleep with her, have a child with her. And this is how we'll bring about God's promises for our life. And so Abraham listens. It was a bad idea. Marries Hagar, has a child with her. 
and believe that this is how God is going to be fulfilling his promise, that this is the heir that the nations will be blessed through. But here's the problem. Ishmael was never God's will. Ishmael was never God's idea. That was Abraham and Sarah's idea. It's not God's idea, and it was birth in the flesh and not in the spirit. It was birth with their own understanding. It was birth trying to, in their own strength, bring about God's miraculous miracle, and it never works out. Abraham marries a servant. They have a son. The name of the son is Ishmael. And this, man, I'm telling you, when we get outside of the will of God for our lives, when we get in the flesh, when we try to fulfill our deepest desires through our own means, that's where we get in trouble. I mean, can you, I, can you blame Abraham and Sarah? Their desires to have a child. That's the deepest man. God made them this promise even. It seems like God's not being faithful to his promise and they're having to wait all this time. And, and, and waiting is really hard. It's not fun to wait, but here they are waiting. And you know what? They, they try to fulfill their own desires with their own ideas in their own ways. And it leads to nothing but trouble. So I will say this, God is faithful to his word. Even when Abraham and Sarah step outside of God's will, God is still faithful to his word. And God says, no, Abraham, Sarah is the one through whom you will bear the child of promise. And at age 100, <laughs> 25 years, they had to wait 25 years. Man, some of you have been praying for a miracle and you're waiting on God and you're getting tired of waiting. I'm telling you, if God promised it to you, he's good for it. He will make it happen. God waited till Abraham, and the Bible says that he was as good as dead. But you see, when, when, when it's that dead thing that God can bring to life and make a miracle, and they have Isaac. So uh, really, it's 14 years after Ishmael was born that now Isaac is born. Isaac was God's idea. Isaac is the promised one. But see, now there's trouble because Ishmael starts picking on Isaac. <laughs> yeah, he starts making fun of him. He starts bullying him. And Sarah says, you know what, Hagar and Ishmael, it's time for you to go. You got to go. There was, a, there was a, a war in the nest. Paul says this story, it's all an allegory between the flesh. Uh, it's an allegory. It really happened. But he's saying we can interpret this allegorically. This is, there is the flesh, Ishmael, and there is the spirit, Isaac, and they're opposed to one another. And, and, and this is, represents our life. There are two ways you can live your life. You can either live out of the flesh or you can live out of the spirit. And the two are at war with one another. You need to know this. The two are at war with one another. Think about this. Everything was fine. Everything was fine when Ishmael and Hagar and Sarah and Abraham lived together. But the moment Isaac showed up, um, the moment the promise stepped in, now here comes the war. Now here comes the fight. Now here comes the problem. Because God's will and our will cannot coexist together. It's got to be his will. And so a fight happens now in the nest between the child of the flesh and the child of the promise. And I just want to say this. The Bible says we are fighting the good fight of faith. Some of you just started following Christ. Some of you are new to this thing called Christianity and following Jesus. And you are experiencing the fight. You are experiencing the war. And some of you are discouraged by the war. Some of you are thinking, why is this so hard? 
Why is this? I thought when I started serving Jesus, now I've, I've got, it feels like a tug of war going on in my soul because here's what's going on. You never had Isaac. You never had God's will in your life, but now you started following Jesus. Now you've been born again by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God that is dwelling within you is fighting and warring against the flesh that wants to fulfill God's purposes by your own means. And now you're experiencing this tug of war and tension in your life. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You are in the good fight. This is the good fight of faith. We don't just fight the devil. We don't just stand against the world. We actually have to fight our own flesh. We actually have to fight our own desires to do things our way instead of following the Holy Spirit. And so we, when, when we live according to our rules, when we try to make God's promises come to fulfillment by our own ways and means, we're trusting in our own strength to save us. This is flesh. When we trust in our own goodness, our own righteousness, our own ways of making things right, Paul says we actually become slaves. But when we trust in Christ, we're free in Christ. Christ died to set us free from the slavery of legalism, trying to earn our salvation. So this is why Galatians 4, 5, and 6 are important. Because if we, if we don't live by the law, then what do we live by? You know, aren't we supposed to have good morals? Aren't we supposed to have good things that guide our lives? Isn't there a standard we live our life by? Laws are good. I mean, I'm glad we have laws in, in America. They keep everyone in line. But if our behavior doesn't matter, does that mean we can just live however we want to? No, that's called lawlessness. Paul addresses this in, in Galatians 5 and 6. We're called to freedom, but Christ has set us free. And he didn't set us free from the law just so it's the wild, wild west and we can live however we want and, and, and live according to our own desires. And it's so crucial that we get this. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, then the defining aspect that governs your life, what is supposed to govern your life? It's not a what. It's not a list of rules. It's not a how. But what defines your life is a person. It's a who. From beginning to end, the true mark of a believer is the Holy Spirit. And so I want to move on now to Galatians 5, because we're not under the law, but we are to live by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... And not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus, Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, 
The Spirit of God for Paul is the prime mover for your life. The Spirit is your guide, your companion, your power. He is the wind that fills your sails. He's the breath that the breath that brings life and vitality and action. It is impossible for you to do anything for God, with God, without the person of the Holy Spirit. Cannot stress this enough. We need the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, again, is now comparing two operating systems in your life, right? Every device, every, every phone, every computer has an operating system right? And your, your operating system, is, it's right. It's the main program. It's the thing that's running all the things. It's the power behind uh, all, the, all the apps that it, run, it runs through an operating system. And Paul is saying, your life is either operating by the flesh or your life is operating by the Spirit. These two things are diametrically opposed to one another. One could not be more opposed to the other, and they both produce very different types of results. Gordon Fee, he talks about the flesh. I, wanna, I know I gave you an earlier definition of the flesh, but I want to add to that a little bit with what Gordon Fee says. He says, the flesh refers to earthliness or creatureliness, our fallenness. When you live according to the flesh, you are living your life keeping with the values and desires of the life of this present age, which stand in absolute contradiction to God and his ways. Now, I want to make this clear. When Paul talks about the flesh, he is not talking about your physical body. The flesh does not have a, the like the theological emphasis is not your physical body. All right. It's not teaching you, oh, inside of you, your spirit is good, but the skin and bones you walk in are bad. No, this passage is defining flesh as those parts of ourselves and the systems that, ex that we create that exist in rebellion towards God. And they exist as coping mechanisms to keep us from being dependent upon God. The flesh is used comprehensively to describe the state of the unsaved. Those who are in the flesh are under total control of their sinful passions. Flesh is generally used in a figurative or theological sense in the scriptures, referring to our fallen nature and our unredeemed selves. So what is the flesh? An easy way to think of it is the flesh are our coping mechanisms for life apart from God. The systems or the things we run to and we try to live our lives in this world apart from God. When you're going through a hard time, when you're squeezed on the inside, what do you run to? Who is your shelter? Who is your refuge? What is your safety? The flesh has us running to things apart from God. I like it. Uh, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament even. Isaiah 31 it talks about when Israel relied on human strength the prophet says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horses because they're very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster and does not call back his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. Listen, the Egyptians are man and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble. And he who has helped 
will fall and they will perish together. The flesh, the operating system, what it is, it's the things that we run to, the things that we, we trust in rather than trusting God. Abraham and Sarah trusted in their idea to bring about God's will through Ishmael rather than trusting God and waiting on God and waiting for him to move and act. And they take matters into their own hands and it causes ruin. And so something else about the flesh operating system that I want to point out, the flesh, the fleshly part of us, what it does is it takes good things and it'll take something good and it'll latch onto it and it'll suck it and bring it into the center of our life and we'll have a disordered desire. What do I mean by a disordered desire? It takes something that's good. What's good? Family's good. Career's good. Success is good. Marriage is good. Acceptance is good. But what the flesh operating system does is it takes something like family and your kids, which are good, and it sucks it and it puts them at the very center of your life. And now all of a sudden, you feel like your acceptance and your worth comes from your kids and their achievements and what they can do. But here's what happens. Our flesh, when it brings things and sucks it to the center of our lives and tries to make good things the ultimate things, ultimately all those things will fail. I've seen it before a parent, they're trying to live their life through their kid. And if their kid succeeds, then they feel like they'll succeed. But what ha- one or two things happen. Either their expectations are so crazy, they end up crushing their kids. They put too much on them and crush them. Or when their kids don't live up, when their kids aren't the best one on the team, when their kids aren't the smartest one in the school, when their kids aren't the most successful, it ends up crushing them and their self-esteem. What is that? That is our flesh. That's our flesh that tries to make good things the ultimate things. Yeah, God wants you to be a good mom and a good dad and a good parent. Yes, God wants you to be successful in your ventures and what you do. Those are all good things, but they're not the ultimate thing. The flesh takes good things and tries to make it the ultimate thing. But we must live by the Spirit. What is life in the Spirit? Remember, When Paul is addressing the Galatians, he's saying you can't depend on the law to make you right with God. You cannot rely on some external set of rules to make you holy. You cannot rely on external motivations. You can't just try harder and do better. Following Jesus is not an external checkmark to-do list. But neither can you live by the passions and desires, the operating system of this world. It all ends up in dismal failure. Human strength fails us time and time again, all right? So how are we supposed to live? If the law judges us and excludes us, right? It demands action, and whenever we don't totally fulfill it, it condemns us. And if our own flesh will end up destroying us, what are we to live by? We are to live by the Spirit of God that transforms us from the inside out. Listen, the Christian life, John Constable says, is not a list of things to do and things to avoid. It's not a virtue acquired by practice. It is a gift of being moved by the Spirit of God. And the key to life is to allow the Spirit to lead. Paul clearly speaks here of an inspired ethic of inspired action. It's not reserved for the holy few, but it is the birthright of all who believe in Jesus. And it is readily available. A crucial point. 
When confronted with any moral decision, great or small, the Christian's first question should be, where does the Spirit lead me in this? This is, man, God is so good. He wants you to be inspired, not just externally motivated, but internally enabled. What does it mean to be inspired? It means to be in spirit, to have the spirit breathed inside of you. He wants to put his spirit inside of you. He wants to give you power to live by. The spirit is the empowering presence of God that breathes life into us. Listen, Isaac was an absolute miracle from God. Only God could produce Isaac. Only life can come from life. Your fleshly desires will not produce life. The law cannot produce life, but the Spirit of God, the creator of all that we see, the the very living God, the breath of God, this is the one who brings life. This is why God tells Zerubbabel in the the book of Zechariah, when he's rebuilding the temple, he says, it's not going to be by might. It's not going to be by human strength. It's not going to be by power, but it will be by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. By my spirit will bring about the thing you're looking for. We are looking to the spirit of God to bring about the will of God in our lives. Paul says the law is fulfilled. Jesus said the law is fulfilled through one word, love. Every box is checked off when we truly love others as we've been loved. But love does not come through effort. Love comes as a result of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit within us that produces love, and that love fulfills the requirement of God's law. The Spirit of God is enough and more than able to accomplish God's purposes in His people. We're led by Him. We're walking with Him. We're living in Him. Our way to life and character should be decidedly different from our past life, but that only comes through the Holy Spirit. So the question is, how do we get more Holy Spirit? Because that's what we need. The answer to everything in our life is more Holy Spirit. This is in Galatians 6, 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now let me say this, because this is what Galatians is all about. The believer's life, from start to finish, is saturated by the grace of God, right? He poured out his favor upon us who are not deserving. Even before the foundations of the world, God had already decided that he was going to save us. Before you had a chance to do anything good or bad, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. By grace, God has given us the chance to repent and be saved. None of us could come to the Father unless the Father had initiated it. By grace, We are born again. By grace, we are made right in the eyes of God. Our relationship with him is restored. We have peace with God. We are counted as righteous in the eyes of God. Then the Holy Spirit starts to work on us. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay where you are. Grace is too strong to leave us passive. 
too potent to let us wallow in the mire of our own sins and weakness. So he starts a process in us called sanctification, where he's forming us into the image of God. We are in the process of becoming like Jesus until one day we'll see him face to face. So everything is by grace. We're chosen by grace. We're saved by grace. We're justified by grace, sanctified by grace. From start to finish, it's all grace upon grace. But that does not mean that we're just passive, that we just sit down, that God's going to do all the work. Grace doesn't, grace just means we don't earn or deserve any of this. But it doesn't mean that we don't exert any effort. God, grace is opposed to earning, meaning you, you can't earn God's love or salvation. You can't earn any of this, but it's not opposed to effort. So if the Holy Spirit is how I'm, supposed to live. If by the grace of God is how I'm supposed to live, I don't know about you, but I need more of it. <laughs> I need more grace. I need more spirit. The flesh in me is real. The war is real on the inside of me. How am I going to live a life that exhibits the fruit of the spirit? Well, when I got up this morning, I flipped a switch. And when I flipped that switch, the power came on. What makes what makes the power come on? What makes, it, what makes the light come on? It's power. Here's the thing. I didn't generate that power. TVA generated that power for me. I didn't get the power to my address. North Georgia Electric Company did that for me. I didn't run the wires or install it in the switch in my bathroom. The builder did that for me. All I did was turn the switch on. You see, this is grace is what you need. You don't generate the grace, nor do you provide the grace, or even how the grace gets to you. You didn't come up, uh, you didn't come up with the way grace will be applied to your life, but you do have to flip the light switch. How do you flip the light switch on? How do we have more of the Holy Spirit? Listen, God has provided channels that provides a means of grace. God has given us ways that we should do on a routine basis that give us access to the power of God that he's called us to live. Paul says, God is not mocked. Do not, God's not mocked. If you sow into your flesh, you're gonna reap the flesh. But if you sow into the spirit, you will reap the things of the spirit. And it's like, people don't get this. It's common sense. If you neglect your yard and you don't, and you don't, Mow your grass for a while. It's going to happen. Your, gar your, your yard's going to be overrun. It's going to look terrible. If you neglect your spouse, what's going to happen? You're going to end up uh, not so great. <laughs> if you neglect your house, what's going to happen? It'll fall apart. You know, a house has to be repaired. It has to be maintained. If you neglect your car and you don't put oil in it, what's going to happen? It's going to blow up. We know if you neglect things that it's not going to turn out great. But if you neglect your spirit, for some reason, people think that they can just neglect their spirit. They can neglect the things of God. What has God given us as a means of grace? What does God give? What are the things we do to sow into the spirit? Oh, he's given us the scriptures. He's given us prayer. He's given us the church, fellowship with other believers. Yet, we think we can neglect all of these things and that we are going to just, our relationship with God is just peachy. It's all good. I'm telling you, no, you're sowing into your flesh. And what's going to happen is you're going to reap the flesh. But if you will sow into the Spirit, you will reap the things of the Spirit.
I feel like what the Lord has been talking to me about lately is we got to get past a microwave faith. A microwave faith. What is a microwave faith? We're so used to just popping something in the microwave and in two minutes it's being done and we've got what we want. We just came out of Thanksgiving, right? Some of y'all smoked a turkey <laughs> and it was so good. I had a smoked turkey the other day, man, and it was so, so good. But you wanna know, the person who smoked that turkey, they started thawing it out a couple of days beforehand. Then they had to let it sit in the smoker for hours and hours and hours. And man, when that thing got out, it was good. Listen, you can microwave, you can microwave, you know, Russell Stover's and it's okay. But man, a turkey that's been sitting and marinating and just sitting in that thing and smoking, it's so juicy, so tender, it's so good. And a lot of believers are just, they're Russell Stover Christians. They're microwave Christians. They give God a passing thought throughout the day. They might give him a few moments throughout the day. But when was the last time you gave God a lot of your moments? When was the last time you actually settled your spirit and you calmed down? I don't know about you, but for me, I can tell you, my mind is racing so much that it takes me, honestly, it takes me a while to just for my soul to settle down so that I can hear from God. But I'm telling you, when I finally feel like I've heard from the Lord, I feel like I can take on the world with just a word. A word from God, one word from the Lord, and you can take on whatever fight you're up against. You can take on whatever devil you're facing. The war that we're in is gonna require you not to be a microwave Christian, but you're gonna have to sow into the Spirit. You're gonna have to spend some time with God. And you know what? You're gonna have to wait. And waiting can be awkward. I mean, Sarah and Abraham had to wait 25 years. Sometimes we think, oh, I, I did my Jesus calling uh, meditation this morning. Why isn't God moving in my life? I'm happy. Do your Jesus calling. Do that. But at some point, you're going to have to give God more than five minutes of your day. You're going to have to give Him more than... There's going to be some things you're going to have to sit, wait on. It's going to be awkward. You know, it's just like, man, what's going on here? I'm sure that's how Abraham and Sarah felt. But one day, boom, the thing that God had promised happened. And they didn't bring it about. God brought it about in His timing. And here we are today. Jesus came through that lineage. Jesus came through that miracle. When the Holy Spirit produces things in our life, those are things that last. Those are things that change the world. Those are the things we need. We've got to sow into the Spirit because the Spirit is how we live. We're justified by faith. That is the book of Galatians. Father, I pray for your people today. I pray for us, Lord. I pray that we would be a people that sow into the Spirit. Let us sow into the things of the Spirit. Let us sow, God, and live lives that are led by your Spirit. Help us, Lord Jesus, to walk with you, to wait on you. Waiting is hard, but let us wait in the Spirit. Let us not live microwaved lives, but Lord, let our hearts be settled on you, Lord Jesus. I pray this today, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, we love you. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And now we're ready to hop into the Christmas season, Advent. So we start a new series next week, Advent. 
at the crossing. We will see you right here, 10 o'clock virtual or 9 and 11 live.